0: Let me go through a couple of things that we've discussed already and um, and that we've discussed a few weeks ago and then we're gonna get into some things tonight that are going to be a little bit more uh, challenging probably I think for us to think through so um, before I get into that let me just walk through just a brief review just to remind us what's happening Remember we're we've been looking at second uh, Kings chapter five really through chapter nine or so. We've kind of been taking them as a whole, uh, read through most of it um, the other a few weeks ago. And we saw there that Solomon is preparing to build his temple. This, that's the section of the Old Testament where Solomon prepares to build his temple. And one of the first things that he does is he kind of partners with Hiram, king of Tyre. And because Hiram basically wants to get in good with Solomon uh, as he was good with David and just you know, congratulate him on his, you know, accession to the throne, and Solomon sees this as an opportunity to, to build a, a partnership, a trade relation with, uh, with Hiram, and so out of it, Solomon gets um, some cooperation from Hiram to help build the temple with some skilled laborers and some timber, and um and Solomon also exchanges some of the some of the items that he has been given like flour and things like that with Hiram so it's a mutually mutually beneficial relationship where Hiram is going to basically give him some of his people and some of his materials to help him construct the temple and so we sort of understood that Solomon is is has all the all the materials necessary to start building the temple and he does so in 966 BC, which is the 480th year since the Exodus. And uh, it's it's either 966 or maybe beginning in in 967. That's a little bit more unclear. Most people are settled on 966, though, and that's fine with me. Um, But that would put the uh, leaving the the, uh, Exodus at, um, 1446, which is what we had said, or I had said all the way back at the very beginning when we were talking about the Exodus, that's where we really get that date of 1046 is that it was the 480th year, uh, after the Exodus that they started building the temple. And so there you have it. Um, that's where we get that, that dating. It's, it's a little bit easier, which all the years really pretty line up pretty well. I think all things considered. Um, and so we have Solomon beginning to build this temple, and we, we even talked about last week, we went through a lot of the f- finer nuances of the temple and some of the, some of the temple furniture, and I kind of gave a brief little tour of what the temple really looked like and things like that, and a graphic uh, presentation, and, and I'm going to put that graphic back up here in just a minute. But um, once the temple is underway, uh, Yahweh is going to repeat his promise to the nation of Israel to dwell with Israel and to never forsake it but what we also see in Yahweh's promise is that there is a condition you know if 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 Israel becomes uh, and turns the temple into essentially what is a den of thieves and not a prayer for all nations as as Jesus will put it in the new testament Yahweh tells them that look I'm uh, that you know, we're gonna we're gonna do this a different way. I'm gonna discipline you. I'm gonna I'm punish you, and and it's it's really gonna feel like abandonment uh, of the house. And he really does. And and we're gonna see that happen in many years from now. It'll be it'll be uh, probably many of our years from now at the rate we're going. <laughs> but, uh, but Yahweh does uh, eventually you know depart from the temple. And um and so anyway, there's this threat there at the beginning that that you have to be a people that seek after me and keep my name holy and and obey my commandments and statutes. So, it's not unconditional. There there are conditions to it. Um, Okay. Now, we're going to step into, and I debated about how to do this and whether to do it and how to make what I'm about to go into the topic that I'm about to go into how to make it easier. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure I've done that. (laughs) So I would like to hope I have, but I'm not sure that I have. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give it the old college try. And I'm going to put this out there and uh and it's okay if it's a little bit over your head if it's something that's a little bit more foreign to you and you're not quite used to understanding uh you know the the temple and things like that but i still think it's worth going into and helping to to kind of as best we can wrap our minds around what the temple is how how many of you uh and and you can just kind of I'm assuming that you're going to be nodding in agreement with me on this. How many of you, you know, over the years when you've read through the old Testament and you've seen these things like animal sacrifices, or when you've read descriptions of the tabernacle as having like, well, it needs to have flowers on this end and it needs to have these kinds of flowers on built onto the lampstands and the lampstands need to be on the South end. And, and, you know, it's got to have this kind of stuff and it's got to have the curtains are got to be made out of this. And, How many of you have read those sorts of things and just gone, why? Like, it just doesn't really, it doesn't really compute. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us at all. And we might be able to conceptualize the temple or even the tabernacle. We might be able to wrap our minds around, okay, I get it. You have, you know, animal sacrifices and, and there's some sin involved and you got to pay for your sin and things like that. And we, we can wrap our mind around some of those things. But then there's the finer points of the temple that just sort of blow our mind or we just go, okay, but I don't really understand why that's necessary. We saw this image last week or not last week, but the last time we met a couple weeks ago. And this is an image of oh, just a uh, uh, CGI rendering of the temple solomon's temple, and we we kind of went through this and kind of walked through it. The real temple didn't have that open ceiling or anything like that it wasn't a retractable roof or anything but uh, but uh, which may have been cool, but uh, didn't have that retractable roof, but you know you get the idea there there was um, there there's the outside courtyard there's the uh holy place, and then there's the holy of holies beyond that. And then there's these, some of these water pits outside uh, that are on, this, on the bottom part of the, the screen here. And then there's the altar, which is up there in the top, sort of the top right, where they would kill the animals and, and, and things of that nature. And then the priest would you know, take all the stuff inside the temple. Um, and so we, we look at that and we, you know, it, OK, it's good. We see it. it to us, it's a building. And it kind of makes a little bit of sense, I guess, but there's a whole lot of things about it that just don't make sense at all, like why things are set up the way they are. And I was thinking about this. um, If you were to take one of the uh, Jews from Solomon's era uh, that that worshipped at the temple, that went to the temple, and you were to fast forward him to our day and age. And he were to be a part of a conversation that you were having with somebody else. And the person asked you and said, they said, um, Hey, I haven't seen your kids in a while. Uh, you know, how, how big are they? And you told them go on my Instagram uh, feed and you can see a picture of them uh, just third, third uh, photo from the top of my, on my Insta feed. You, the the person you were talking to would totally get what you're talking about. Now, they may not really know with social media and they may not interact with social media, but they understand the concepts that you're communicating. This guy, on the other hand, that you've just fast forwarded from 3,000 years ago would have no clue what you're talking about. If you sat him down and walked him through your Instagram timeline, I know this sounds weird for just a second, but bear with me. You, you were to walk through your Instagram timeline, he would probably go, oh, okay, concept, I, I sort of get. These are your children. It's an it's a, it's a image of your children and you're able to share this with people. I sort of get that. But the cultural impact of social media would just fly straight over his head. All right. The same is kind of true for us when we go back 3,000 years and look at a temple. We sort of get that there is a temple and we sort of get its function. But the deeper cultural impact of the temple goes straight over our head. And so the setup of the temple actually has extreme significance in their culture. And in fact, many Jews in Solomon's era would get deeply the significance of the setup of everything about the temple, and the interesting thing about the Bible is the way the way it's written. In some respects, sort of assumes you know this. Uh, Will leave behind trails of breadcrumbs to help you understand it, and we can kind of piece things together, and we start to grasp its broader significance. But, um, but. It, is, it sort of assumes that you, you, you understand this imagery and what it's, what it's trying to communicate. And so the, the temple, the way it's set up, actually has, follow me on this, cosmological significance. That the things that are set up are, have cosmological parallels. In other words, the temple is set up so that there are parallels with the rest of the created order in the way the temple is set up okay um so now obviously we we've got to talk about what that means so israel's temple is composed of three main parts that symbolized major parts of the cosmos um the outer part or the outer court which i'm going to go back to this diagram in just a minute but the outer court represented the habitable world where humanity dwelt. The holy place was, you know, emblematic or had parallels to the visible heavens and the lights in the skies, the, the sun, sun, moon, and, and uh, some of the visible planets. Um, and then the holy of holies, which is the third level of this temple complex symbolize the invisible dimension of the cosmos where God's own throne room is now you might think why would they do that (laughs) why would why would God do that that that's that's weird and I grant you, it does seem strange at first, but I want you to think about this. Okay, so we have the outer courtyard here labeled with a one, it's this pavement all around. And um, and I'm going to walk through these one by one here in just a second. But, um, you know, it, th- I want you to think about creation for just a second. Let's go back all the way to the Garden of Eden, where God creates the world. He puts man and woman in the garden And everything is is perfect. There's no sin in the world. What is the earth at that moment? What is the Garden of Eden at that moment? And we're going to talk more about the Garden of Eden next week. But what is the Garden of Eden at that moment? The Garden of Eden, where there's no sin, and and man and woman are, the Bible says, uh, naked and, and not ashamed um, in this Garden of Eden, they are, they are living, they are, they are conversing, they are having fellowship regularly with God. So, earth then becomes, or, or, or really the created order, becomes the place where God meets with his creation uh the, the world becomes the the uh, really the Garden of Eden becomes the place where God meets with mankind um if you think about you know the the whole of creation this being the whole of creation it, 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 heaven and earth are overlapping they are they are together um now what happens then when Adam and Eve Sin. When sin enters the world, it creates this more or less, if you will. I'm going to use it. I think you'll get this. A sort of a black hole in creation that is that is is sinful, and so God it more or less removes Himself from the equation, or humanity more pushes away from God. So. Now, where heaven and earth formerly were overlapping realms, they they, they came together, they they have now this separation between the two, where humanity does not enjoy the kind of fellowship that they once had with God. Following with me so far? That's a little bit up here, but tracking with me so far? Okay. Um, so then the temple, the way it's set up and the, the, some of the reasoning behind some of the setup is a reminder for God's people. God has come back in. He's invaded the world and he has created for himself a people and he has redeemed them or, and really, he's about to permanently redeem them, but he has has redeemed them. He's brought them out of slavery. He, He has made for himself a people. And what he has done in the temple and the tabernacle is he has carved out a spot in that black hole where he can once again meet with his creatures. And the temple or the tabernacle before it is that place And its design is to help remind the worshiper, the priest, or the the regular Joe Israelite um, that comes to the temple. It's to remind him that this cosmos, the entire world, is God's and everything in it. And here in the temple, we have created obviously with god's you know initiative we have we have put together we've carved out a little spot much like the garden of eden where god once again can convene with his people and so the temple when you're looking at it it really should carry the significance of the new creation you're feeling the brimming hopes inside the Jew of this being the place where God is once again going to convene with his people. And his real presence is going to be felt among us. And we are really we are carving out a spot where we can maybe just get a glimpse of his glory and be close to him once again tracking with me is that so far make make a little bit of sense okay uh well good this may go better than i thought it was gonna go <laughs> so, so you have the first level which is this outside courtyard i know you can't see where i'm pointing but this outside courtyard that has the one it's that area all the way around the temple then two the holy place just the second room inside and then three the Holy of Holies, only one person is allowed in there, the high priest, only once a year in that room, okay, so those are the three, just put, keep those in your mind, take a mental image before I go to the next slide, here I go, the outer court, that one area, represented the visible earth and the sea, now this, we, we understand this and it's actually communicated to us in the Bible. And, uh, you know, first century or a Jew in in Solomon's day is going to, you know, pick up on these images, but these large water basins, you you saw those outside on that, that, you know, that patio or whatever you want to call it, that courtyard, uh, those water basins are literally called the sea. And the altar When it is uh, shown to us, in uh, when when we see it mentioned in Ezekiel, uh, it it doesn't necessarily come across in English translation, but it is literally called the bosom of the earth. That altar is built on top of the bosom of the earth. It's built on the heart of the earth. So um, further, the altar itself, especially in the tabernacle days, was to be an altar that was cut from, uh, that was natural stone, that was made from natural stone, stone straight from the earth. So when you see that altar, not only is it the heart of the earth that that altar is sitting on top of, but that the rock itself is earthen. The The uh, pots, the huge uh, cauldrons on the outside are the sea that that is that is the they are literally called the sea but that that is that is the sea and you can you can find that in first king 7 23 in the first verse in your verse packet we won't read through all of these i provided them just you know for your sake but but i won't read through all of them he says then he made the sea of cast metal so we we they're actually you know metal cauldrons but but he calls them the sea and then you have this um this uh, in Ezekiel forty three fourteen and sixteen, um, you have both uh, the the hearth there. But then in fourteen, he says from the base on the ground, which which literally means the the base on the bosom of the earth. Not just the ground, but the but the heart of the earth. It's built on top of. So all of the imagery around the outside is meant to convey earthen, terrestrial. Uh, ground level stuff. Not only that, but who could gather in the courtyards? All the Israelites who represent God's communication once again with humanity at large, all the Israelites are able to gather around there in the courtyard. So in a sense, it's, it's as if they're standing yet again at the base of Sinai, and God is there on top of Sinai waiting to, you know, dwell with his people. So that, that's the outer court. You've got all this earthen imagery that's out there on the outer court. But then you walk in to the Holy of Holies, and you've got this second section in the t- temple called the Holy Place. Not the Holy of Holies, sorry, the Holy Place. And you have, lot, you have symbolism of the visible sky. So you you know you've got those lamps in there, and there's seven uh, lamps on the actual lamp stand. So you know you got a lamp stand, and then you have seven lamps on each lamp stand. And these seven uh, lamps on the lamp stand are seven uh, light sources, and they their their parallel basically is uh, akin to the the five visible planets in the sky the sun and the moon so they are the especially in solomon's day um the sun moon and the five visible planets would be the five brightest uh the seven brightest things in our sky um this is where things get really strange okay so just bear with me for just a second Um, these, these, so these light sources, you can see in even Genesis one, the identification of, uh, God creating the lights in the heaven instead of using predominantly the word sun and moon five times, the word lights in the heavens are, are, are put up there. And the, uh, the, the reason they're put up there is so that the Jews can keep track of their calendar. They're there to keep track of the days, the weeks, the seven-day week. They're there to keep track of the seasons um, and those seven light sources. The w- number seven becomes really significant for Jews. So you have, you know, the seven, the seventh month becomes significant. The seventh day is the day of rest. The seventh, uh, the seventh month becomes um the day of uh, i think it's the day of atonement if i remember right um so the, this these seven light sources with the number 7 and the the uh, the, the way it's repeated is uh, significant then throughout the pentateuch this same word for lights that's used in genesis 1 is used to refer to the tabernacle lampstands when they're created in in the pentateuch it's referred to 10 times using that same word so um but, but the lights in the heavens also had f- another representation. And this is where things get a little bit strange. You'll remember in, in the book of Revelation, um, in one twenty, you have this association with angels and stars. And you're going to see this sort of parallel uh, really throughout the, the Bible uh, quite frequently, uh, uh, when you see in Revelation eight, even when a third of the uh, stars fall from the fall from the sky, there's also angelic judgment going on at the same time. Um, in Revelation chapter one, uh, closely identifies the lampstand with stars uh, by saying each of the seven churches are symbolized by a lampstand, and you remember in that scene in Revelation one twenty or in Revelation one. Jesus is telling John to tell the churches, I am the high priest. I am in the holy place. I walk among the lampstands. I am responsible for the light that they shine. And he says that the churches represent the lampstands and the stars are, are the symbol of the angel of that church, the angel that represents that church. Um, I know that's way out there and really confusing and really difficult to kind of wrap our mind around, but the, the way, um, and, and it's very, very difficult for us to come up with like a parallel of things that we think of, but essentially it was very common for a Jew to consider uh, the nation of Israel to have angelic representation, We talked about this a couple of weeks ago in the Sermon on Sunday and out of Matthew chapter 18. But then uh, also, you know, in Daniel, uh, you see a, a number of times where there's Michael, the archangel, is said to represent the nation of Israel and fight on their behalf. And so, it's very a very common idea for the people of Israel to feel as though they have angelic representation. Well, the inside that second room, or that really first room, I guess you'd say, inside the temple has this uh, has the imagery that he, the as the, the stars in the sky are sort of uh, kind of depicted in there. That 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 created order is designed to remind you that there is representation before God for you. Um, I, I think that's probably the best way that I can make it make sense. And I know that's, that's probably really difficult to, un, to wrap our mind around. Um, but I'll deal with questions when you get to them uh, later, if I, if I can't even answer them. The third part of the temple is the Holy of Holies. And this is the one that's probably the easiest for us to grasp. Um, the Holy of Holies represented the unseen heavenly dimension of the world. So these kind of these three tiers. There's the, the earth... There's sky and then the heavenly realm inside the throne room of God. And what we see inside um, the heavenly temple is or, or inside the, the Holy of Holies is there's these sculpted cherubim that are around the Ark. And uh, they are also throughout the Holy of Holies. They're surrounding the Ark of the Covenant. And what are they guarding? They're guarding the throne of God. We also see that the cherubim are woven into the curtain that separates the high priest or the priest or all of Israel from the presence of God. There's this curtain and woven in it are these cherubim because they're guarding the throne room of God. And so that's kind of the, the way it's seen. Now, the, the, we understand about the Holy of Holies, no human could enter the this sort of inner sanctum, the throne room of God, and look upon the luminous divine glory. No, no one could do that except for the high priest, and even the high priest could only enter once a year, and he had to offer incense inside the Holy of Holies, and what did that do? That formed a cloud inside the Holy of Holies so thick that he couldn't see the full glory of God. And the ark itself was understood in Scripture, and, and the Scriptures are, are uh, listed there. I believe I've got those included in your verse packet. Um, the, the, the ark is understood as the footstool of God's heavenly throne. So you, understand, you, can, you can hopefully kind of wrap your mind around this or maybe close your eyes and visualize it. You have the Israelite walking uh, through the created earth right as he as he comes closer to God approaching his presence, then inside the holy place he's now uh, above earth basically with the uh, heavenly beings the the a- angelic beings as it were that that have representation before God and then then inside the inner sanctum where heaven and earth have actually met heaven being the throne room of God has actually just barely touched sinful humanity inside this Holy of Holies where God's feet have rested on top of the Ark of the Covenant. So it's like his footstool and even his footstool, we sinful humanity can't even really approach, but it's, 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 it's this little carved out, tiny little pinhole in this sinful black hole of creation where humanity for just a brief moment one time a year could just briefly get close to the glory of God okay you see how the temple what kind of significance the temple has and maybe you don't understand all pieces of that I know I don't understand all the pieces of that I'm a I'm a a guy who lives in the 21st century talking about something 3000 years ago, having grown up in a Judeo Christian worldview that has nothing to do really with temples. I don't go to the temple. I don't. So I, even I have a hard time wrapping my mind around that, but, but just think for a second at, at how much weight that must really have to a Jew in in Solomon's era even in the first century how much significance the temple must have to them that it is this carved out niche in a sinful created world where god once again reconvenes with his creation uh, you know that that's that's an incredible thing so so this ark is part of god's heavenly throne room And and the space directly above the ark is, is where his feet rest. And God can't be seen. He's not depicted by images. This is where the rest of the cultures around Israel actually have very similar descriptions of temples, of their temples. They have very similar understandings of their temples. Their temples also are patterned after the cosmos. But the difference is they make images of their god their gods are made after their image but the big difference with israel is israel was made after god's image so israel's not allowed to put any depictions of the lord there this is where his feet rest you're not allowed to 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 do anything or tamper with that in any way and that's a commandment actually and so the Holy of Holies was a, itself was a representation of God's unseen heavenly dwelling in his temple amidst ministering angels and spirits. All right. So there's this sort of threefold division of the created order. And it's calling back to the day when God met with his people. Adam and Eve experienced More of the fullness, and we don't really know what that was like either. But more of the fullness of God's presence, where Israel is basically just able to get a little pinhole in a black hole of God's of God's presence uh, in in amongst in, in amidst their sin. Now, let's talk about why this is really important that we kind of begin to wrap our minds around this. So God's realm man's realm once garden of eden coexisted in harmony the fall separates the two and so god's realm being perfect and and, and purely holy is no longer really able to coexist within our realm and and we're told why we would die <laughs> if that was the case sinful humanity would be purged and so the, god's separation from humanity is kind of a mercy it's not kind of a mercy it is a mercy in some ways uh also a punishment um so once together now they're separate so the first reunion between heaven and earth the first time they come back even slightly to meet each other is in the tabernacle slash the temple and so what animal sacrifices do is they make provision they make it possible for that little pinhole to to open up you get it it's like, it's like it just for just a brief moment that little that that pinhole opens up and god dwells with his people uh, once again, and so we see this obviously most clearly in, in the Holy of Holies, um, a place in the inner temple where God Himself in in, in some way resided, um, and the high priest is obviously takes a lot of care to come in there. So uh, that that I think is the clearest picture of that 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 scene where the sacrifices are just are making provision where God can once again meet with his meet with his people. Um, now, temples and animal sacrifices—we know from the Book of Hebrews—they'll never suffice. Why? Because at best, that is a a stopgap, a temporary provision for that that tiny little pinhole of you know uh, of, of access between humanity and God it's temporary it's a temporary solution but what was God's permanent solution well John tells us that he became flesh and tabernacled among us and John uses that word he says dwelt where it's translated dwelt in the ESV but it's quite literally tabernacled among us he uses that word with intention because he's communicating John, John's book. If you've ever read the gospel of John, my goodness, how much Judaism is in the book of John. Whoa. I mean, you, you really have to have to be up on your Judaism to understand a lot of the things that John is saying, the sevens and all this stuff that, he, that is going on and the significance of the temple and the river of life and all of these kinds of things. There's a lot of Jew, Jewish imagery going on in the book of John. He doesn't use the word tabernacle accidentally or just throw it out there. No, no. He's seeing Jesus as a very unique figure. Why? Because he's already told us in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Then he took on flesh and tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, think about what John is saying in that moment. He became the temple, and we became the high priest. We beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father. Can you just think about that for just a second? For John to be a first century Jew, writing about seeing the glory of God, knowing any Jew that reads that is thinking, no, 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 John. There's only one Jew that could ever possibly even come close to seeing the glory of God. And that would have been the high priest who walks into the Holy of Holies, and he barely even gets to glimpse that, lest he die. And John is saying, I know And that's what I saw in Jesus. He was God and he took on flesh and tabernacled among us and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so here is this tabernacle, this temple, which Jesus is later on going to tell the Jews, I am the temple, tear this temple down and I'll rebuild it in three days. And so he's going to, he's going to later communicate that I'm the, I'm the temple. And what happens then on the cross when God, the when Jesus, the atoning sacrifice is killed and brought into the Holy of Holies, where his blood is sprinkled on the, the mercy seat to make atonement for humanity. What happens at that moment The veil inside the temple tears from top to bottom and all the cherubim that are guarding and separating the high priest or the priests from the inner sanctum is torn wide open. And now everyone can behold his glory and there's no more separation that needs to be done at all between God and man. So in Christ Christ, that little pinhole is broken wide open. And now God's presence can dwell permanently with his people. Okay, but, but then it gets even crazier inside the New Testament, and we're you know way past our keynote, but it gets even crazier inside the, the, the New Testament, where Paul tells us that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that God literally in his spirit comes to dwell inside his people. So we become a temple of the Holy Spirit. What we're going to talk about and deal with at length next week is the uh, Garden of Eden and how how it it, it really is a, uh, there's a lot of, obviously it's it's a temple and there's, there's a lot of uh, Garden of Eden imagery built inside Solomon's temple. Um, But what does this then tell us about what John is going to eventually see in Revelation? He sees a new heavens and a new earth. How does he describe the new heavens and new earth? If you'll pay attention in John 22, I mean, in Revelation 22, He describes the new heavens and new earth, not as a new heaven and a new earth. He describes it as a temple. And then he doesn't go on to talk about its furniture at all, or the bowls and basins. He talks about it as a garden, where there's a river and a tree, and it's actually the tree of life. And and it gives life to. His people. So, in John's last picture, he brings all of these images of the Garden of Eden. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but he brings all these images of the Garden of Eden and the temple together to create this image of a new heavens and new earth. So, what's communicated to the Jewish reader in particular is is not just a temple like a like a building. And not even merely an earth, but more a place where there is no sin anymore. It's all gone. And God doesn't carve out a hole inside of the the sinful world where he dwells with his people, inside their hearts merely, but throughout all of the creation. And all of the created order becomes one giant Temple. He doesn't, I don't think, mean an actual physical building. I think what he means is it all is a temple. He's going to dwell with us. That's what that means, right? So there's an incredible significance here that I don't want us to miss of how the Jew actually approaches the temple and how they feel about this temple being built. Uh, Questions? I'm sure there are tons. Uh, (laughs) Go ahead. I I got Michael. I hope I can answer them. Yeah,
1: pretty easy. Uh, one, the previous paragraph, I missed the last part of that. Okay. That is easy. (laughs) Uh, Holy of Holies, a place in the inner temple where God himself in some way.
0: blank. let's see here. Uh, let me see if I can. You were just too quick for me. Is it this last one? Which one was it? This yeah.
1: one? Uh, the next to the last one. You had. Yeah, that's it.
0: That's it. So I've got oh, it.
1: Resigned. Okay, I've got it.
0: Resided. Okay.
1: My other question, uh, early on, you were talking about this connection of the Cosmos with the the heavenly realm, and I was you were working real hard to come up with a way to conceptualize that.
0: Yeah, can you
1: help uh, me? Would another analogy be like an interface or a portal? Is what the tabernacle yeah. is, or
0: yeah, yeah, a portal? He said, a um, you know, think sci-fi <laughs> <laughs> or, or interface. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, like a, 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 portal. I mean, yeah. I mean that that's
2: like Star Trek. when they Yeah. Like,
0: the yeah, one- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like Star, like Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. Um, let that, let that get out. Let that get <laughs> Michael was talking about how the Bible's really Star Trek and, uh, <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, you know, I always I always hesitate you know to go into some of the, some of these these topics because um, you you find that a lot of the rest of the world has sort of ad- adopted uh, God's methods of communicating himself in many ways and so what you say then how you talk about the temple and things like that can come across like exactly like what david said like star trek or you know something like that you know and uh and and while that that is a helpful illustration it's it it's a a portal it's a it's a uh access point where where heaven and earth meet uh, and touch where where they used to collide they they merely peck on the cheek you know i, I guess is is a way of saying it
1: Time and space time and
0: space.
1: <laughs> yeah eternity in the cosmos
0: yeah 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 I, that's and man when you're in the 21st century and we haven't seen a temple and we don't sacrifice like that that is a it's a really tough thing to wrap your mind around how that works you know and and why where
2: does the where does the very beginning of the idea of blood sacrifice killing an animal uh I, I might be just blanked out right now, not remembering but
0: yeah most would most people would say it's it's in the garden of Eden when God kills an animal to make clothing for his for the sinful
2: that's right okay i've even yeah. got those notes in my oh. Bible i know.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously he does it there, and then in the very next chapter we see Cain and Abel coming to bring sacrifices. Cain bringing a a plant based, crop based yes. sacrifice or a offering, and and Cain uh, and sorry Abel bringing uh, an animal sacrifice. And so, that, but somewhere between chapter three and chapter four of Genesis, there is pretty common knowledge. About sacrifice. And I and honestly, I think this is part of it, is that and, and this is also because we always have this question. I, I have this question from time to time. How does Cain and Abel, how do they know to give offerings to the Lord? Yeah. How, where yeah. did that come from? Because we don't see any instruction, you know, really given to Adam. We don't see any instruction given to Cain and Abel. And you know, so next week we're going to talk about the Garden of Eden being a temple and and adam being a priest and um and having a priestly role and i think there's there's some some implicit understanding if not explicitly made to adam that instruction we don't have of him understanding what his role is in relation to god and how he meets with god um and i think you know that that's probably passed on in some respects
1: So Michael, uh, has a quick question. Yeah. Uh, so when, at what point in history
0: and why did the Jews stop sacrificing in the temple? So uh, the temple is going to be destroyed in 587, Solomon's first temple. So we call it first temple Judaism. Solomon's first temple is destroyed. It's built in 966 and it's destroyed in 587 BC. And once it's destroyed, they lose the ability to sacrifice for some time. It's rebuilt again in 515 as a wimpy little temple, and they be. I think they begin doing sacrifices somewhere around there, and I, I can't remember the exact date. Um, and for a little while, it's beefed up into the second temple. Well, that's technically second temple. It's be- beefed up into a better second temple by Herod the Great in the Romans in the uh, first century BC. So like what would that be? I think it was like 36 or so it's beefed up and they are full on doing sacrifices and things like that. It's just second temple. Judaism is destroyed again in 70 AD. So 40 years after Jesus, that temple is destroyed and they haven't had sacrifice since.
1: So why? And what's their rationale for not, because they had sacrifices. I mean, they were, they were, didn't they have sacrifices before the temple was built?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they had the tabernacle and they had.
1: Right.
0: Yeah, they had so, tabernacle. So,
1: mm-hmm. so, so after it was destroyed then that third time, why, why not? Or what, what, is their, what is their belief or rationale for not continuing sacrifices in some form or fashion?
0: That is a, an actual an evangelistic point for Christians with Jews. Um, is how do you get rid of your sin? Because they have explicit commands to sacrifice for atonement for their sins. Nowadays, because they don't have a temple to go to, um, nowadays many Jews will merely uh, pray and ask for forgiveness. So they will still have the Day of Atonement and uh, Rosh Hashanah, which is the first day of the year, where they will uh, pray and ask God for forgiveness, um, and that's it. So isn't
2: it in isn't it in numbers? Where I mean, it goes on and on, and is very specific about what each sacrifice is made of, and and how it is done, and and exactly where it's to be placed, and this, that, and the other. But no, then can, when John sees the son of man that's when he preaches to us to stop the sac he doesn't want rituals that we are the temple and and he no longer wants the sacrifices you know our life is to be our service is to be the sacrifice
0: yeah that so yes that would be uh after christ dies on the cross and rises from the dead that's when the that's when when the holy spirit comes upon them in acts that's when the new testament saints begin to understand the significance of the death and resurrection and what that actually means for them in terms of sacrificing and dietary laws and all of those kinds of things and um, but
2: doesn't john start even in in telling of Christ's time on Earth, doesn't He talk about the fact that He does not um, want the ritual sacrifices? Yeah, but the Jews don't believe the New Testament. Yeah, I, I understand. I, You're talking about yeah. For I don't know. Huh?
0: You're talking about for Christians, but, though, Millie. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, That's so- where
2: we. That's where we were told to stop the sacrifices, all yeah, well, the law that was handed down previously what,
0: i would, i mean there may be a, a verse you have in mind in John, but what you quoted was very close to a verse in hebrews um which is very early on but it it but um it, it is um it it's i mean you know, look john John is writing the book of John from first century Christian understanding. And he's talking about the significance of Christ. That's why all pretty much all the gospel writers explain why the dietary food laws are no longer necessary. And uh, so, so things like that, but they're coming into that understanding the disciples in the story. So there's the disciple that's writing the story who has understanding the disciples in the story don't have as much understanding. Does that make sense? Like they're writing about themselves as characters in the story and they're telling you how dumb they were or how naive they were at the time. But there's some things they're writing back into and explaining to you, the reader, that he understands now that he didn't understand back then. And so some of the things you're talking about are things that they understand in light of the crucifixion and resurrection. And it wasn't until the crucifixion that those that were where Christ makes atonement for his people that the animal sacrifices and things like that were no longer necessary. Now, Judaism continued for about 40 years, but Christ, before he leaves, tells the disciples that's going to stop. And that Jewish age is going to overlap slightly with the Christian age, with the age of the church. And eventually that Jewish age is going to fall away when the temple is destroyed, surrounded by the Romans and and ultimately destroyed. And so um, at that, from that moment on, it's going to be, Hey, look, exclusively, this is what you're, you're to understand. And of course the disciples pick up on that, from really day one and are beginning teaching that to the, the rest of the people that they evangelize, the sacrifices are no longer necessary. And the, the verse that you're referring to is from uh, at least the one that it sounded like you were, you were quoting was from the book of Hebrews, where these sacrifices are no longer necessary. And the author of Hebrews is telling the audience that he's writing to, don't go back to Judaism. It's got nothing to offer you. The sacrifices are the blood of bulls and goats can never atone. It's Christ. Christ is the one that, that he's, he's taking care of that. So he is the, it, it, to use David's expression, the, the portal. Uh, he is that. It, it's opened up and, and and we have complete access. Good questions. Well, uh, hopefully that wasn't too bad. Uh, <laughs> We'll take it one step further next week where we'll, we'll talk about the garden of Eden and in relation to the temple and then, um, and then new heavens and new earth in relation to the temple. And then we'll probably move on from the temple into Solomon's destruction. Uh, So um, anyway, so we have that to look forward to let's pray. And then we'll, we'll leave heavenly father. We thank you for this time that we could be together. Uh, I pray for all that has been talked about and, um and looked at and turned over that we would uh, strive to understand it that you would help it make sense to us but more than anything that i pray that you would uh transform this from you know something that's merely just a stretch of the mind and into something that is uh, a blessing to the heart that we can understand uh what lengths you have gone through to teach us of your holiness and your majesty and your glory and all the things that you have done to meet with us and to, to, to come get us and that you didn't leave us in darkness, that you have opened up light to us in the midst of the darkness in Christ. Uh, and, and will, will you please, Put that on our hearts in such a way that, that uh, we would be different. Um, that the idea of the temple and our, that our, ourselves being a temple of the Holy Spirit now, where you regularly, daily, by the second, commune with us. Uh, and we have access to your throne in prayer um, so many things in here are just incredibly significant and I pray that you would connect all the pieces for us that our relationship with you would 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 blossom that that we would be um, just have an intense fervor in our desire to commune with you but 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 in in and of ourselves to be New creation, the new created order, in and in a, in a garden of Eden for other people um, to to just receive the gospel and, and the blessings of Christ. We pray that all of those things you would you would connect for us and and help us to grow in. We pray these things in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, guys, we'll see y'all bye. hopefully Sunday or through through the camera lens.
2: Bye, bye.